Well, good evening and, uh, and welcome to this, uh, it's the annual event sponsored by the Centre for the Study of Human Rights and it's, uh, it honours every year, it honours Human Rights Day which falls on the 10th of December. It also celebrates, this year, it celebrates the 60th anniversary of the United Nations General Assembly adoption of the Uni Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, my name is uh, Laurie Taylor, I'm not quite certain uh, why I'm here. It might be that um, I've got surrounded by so many principal people, perhaps I'm here to provide a contrast effect. Um, also, it might be something to do with age, really, uh, on my mind a little bit. It's a little thing from an ex-student of mine on my radio programme the other day, he wrote to me and said, I heard your programme the other day, he used to be a student of mine back in the 60s, and he said, I heard you say I'm glad to be here, he said, I should think at your age you must be glad to be anywhere. So, um, <laughs> but apparently, if complex cognitive work lowers the age of your brain, then following the rules of this evening should ensure that I leave here as a mental teenager. They, you have not heard anything till you've heard these rules. But, um, but it may just help you to understand what's going on here, if you get completely lost, that it is loosely based on Radio 4's uh, programme, Just a Minute, and I'm loosely based on Nicholas Parsons, who runs that. <laughs> uh, but now we're going to go to the, the panellists. I'm going to introduce the panellists, first of all, so you sort of get to, uh, get to know them. Uh, and they are, as you know, they're going to be speaking on behalf of a particular right. And the aim of the evening, as it were, is to find the winner is the person who successfully argues on behalf of their right that this is the paramount right, this is the right that should be most respected, that is the winning right. Now, so that means to say that each of the panellists has a right of their own to argue on be behalf of. Um, so let me start off. Article 1, and I'll just read this out to remind you, that all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. And that is being argued on behalf of by Francesca Klug, who is Professorial Research Fellow here at LSE, Senior Research Associate at the Centre for the Study of Human Rights, Commissioner on the Equality and Human Rights Commission, and she sits on the small Ministry of Justice Bill of Rights and Responsibilities Reference Group to advise on a British Bill of Rights and Responsibilities. So uh, here we are on my left, Francesca. Uh, and then, without repetition, I'm very impressed. <laughs> and then uh, right over here on the, on the right is Shami Chakrabarti, um, and she is defending, arguing on behalf of Article 5, no one shall be subjected to torture or to cruel, inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment. And Shami, as you probably... Except sitting here. Except sitting here, that's right. She's the Director of Liberty, and she's the organisation's principal spokesperson, Governor of LSE, Executive Governor of the British Institute of Human Rights, Executive Committee Member of the Administrative Law Bar Association, Editorial Board Member of the European Human Rights <laughs> Law Review. God, a lot of important people there are on this panel. Uh, Article 8 uh, is uh, going to be argued for by... Connor Geerty, Professor Connor Geerty, uh, and uh, there he is, and uh, he's Professor of Human Rights Law and Director of the Centre for the Study of Human Rights here at LSE. He's published wild, widely in the fields of terrorism, civil liberties and human rights, and he's a founding member of Matrix Chambers where he continues to practice. Now then, all of a sudden, there is a change. And, oh, I mean, if, if it wasn't complicated enough, we've now got a change, because uh, Helena Kennedy, Baroness Helena Kennedy, uh, is going to now not be addressing our Article 11, or arguing on behalf of Article 11, but she's changed to Article 9. Um, 
Perversely, I feel, but nevertheless, but she's going for Article 9, no one should be subjected to arbitrary arrest, detention, or exile. Elena, Life Peer, <coughs> House of Lords, Barrister, Doughty Street Chambers, Chair of the Human Genetics Commission, Member of the World Bank Institute's External Advisory Council, Vice President of the Haldane Society, Vice President of the Association of Women Barristers, President of the School of Oriental and African Studies, Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, and President of the National Children's Bureau. These aren't just anybody, you know. Um, and then, uh, Article 12, which is going to be dealt with by Jonathan Cooper, uh, and that article says, no one should be subjected to arbitrary interference with his privacy, family, home, or correspondence, nor to attacks upon his honour and reputation. Everyone has the right to the protection of the law against such interference or attacks. Jonathan's barrister at Doughty Street Chambers, editor of the European Human Rights Law Review. He creates human rights training programmes used around the world, works closely with the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, governments in other jurisdictions as well as international organisations on how to implement human rights standards. And then lastly, that uh, by no means least, Article 22 is being defended, argued on behalf of by Professor Peter Townsend, that right, everyone as a member of society has the right to social security and is entitled to realisation through national effort and international cooperation and in accordance with the organisation and resources of each state of the economic, social and cultural rights indispensable for his dignity and the free development of his personality. Uh, Peter Townsend is Professor of International Social Policy at LSE, Emeritus Professor of Social Policy in the University of Bristol. 1999, he was elected a founder academician of the new Academy of Learning Societies for the Social Sciences. He's investigated and written extensively on poverty, health, social policy and old age, and was an early member of the Child Poverty Action Group. Now then, all right, that's it, marvellous, isn't it? We got through that. So uh, now we go now to um, the rules. Now, this is where, you know, we get to the rules. There are three rounds. You just need to remember this. You'll forget it, but I'll just try. God, this is like a lecture, isn't it? Three rounds altogether. So that we, uh, and so that we uh, get started before midnight, I'm going to introduce each round as we go. I'm not going to go through all three rounds now. You'll be dead by the time I've done that. So the first round, round one. Now, all you need to know is that each contestant has ten points. Well, the might... We might have there are three rounds. We might have a fourth round as the decider, because in uh, in appreciation of some of the new developments at LSE, if it's all a tie at the end, then we'll ask the contestants, the panelists, to parade in swimsuits. No, we won't. <laughs> Just a silly joke. But anyway, so round one. Uh, each contestant has ten points, and each contestant they speak for two minutes on their right. So, okay, they've got ten points to start with. They've got this in their back. They're ten points. They speak. Now then, they can be challenged. Any. Oh. <laughs> that was really. You did that wonderfully. Did you just press your buzzer? What? Oh, oh you pressed your buzzer. Did you want to say anything? I just thought it would demonstrate. Oh no, no, no! You. <laughs> what? What a, what a professional. Anyway, so uh, anyway, so uh, so ten points they start with. They can be challenged for hesitation, repetition, deviation. They can be challenged on a substantive matter, or a wrong date, or a wrong legal argument. And I will adjudicate. <laughs> I will decide whether or not. And uh, they can even challenge on big words, unnecessary obfuscation, cultural relativism, anything they like. They can go on all that. Now, I decide if the challenge is successful, then that person loses a point. And the marvellous Zoe who is here, we couldn't get Samantha, she's away on a double entendre, but she's the marvellous Zoe who is here will then give a successful challenge. Then, in fact, a point is taken away from the speaker and a point goes to the challenger. If he's unsuccessful, 
then the speaker gains a point. Uh, so that's pretty straightforward, isn't it, really? And, um, <laughs> and then, so we'll, um, we may as well start going. So we're going to start, we're going to go in numerical order, uh, just to make it you know, straightforward. So we're going to make it go in, in numerical order, and we're going to, so that means to say that we're going to start off with, with Francesca. And uh, I'm going to ask her now, uh, we're already, are we, Zoe? We've got everything. And you've got buzzers, and uh, Shami nicely demonstrated a buzzer. Do you want to try your buzzers? Just make sure all your buzzers are aware of them. Mine doesn't work. Oh, oh, that's convenient. <laughs> only, one, only one person at a time. This doesn't work. Only one person at a time. Does this? Oh, that's right. Only one person. That's very good. Very good. This very doesn't good. work. All right. So I'm now no, whistling. Jonathan's is going to work. That's fine. Too gentle. You know, I, I really do have ominous thoughts yeah. about it. <laughs> it's like, woo! Funny, you give academics a buzzer and they are so happy. They're so happy. Anyway, all right, uh, off we go. So uh, I'm going to, will you, well, I'm ready to start. And we, you, Francesca, you have now two minutes to speak on behalf of your right. Go. There is an ancient Jewish story about the Talmudic Rabbi Hillel, who was asked nearly 2,000 years ago by his opponent to recite the entire Torah or Old Testament standing on one leg. He replied, what is hateful... Deviation has to be a deviation. I knew the black letter lawyers would say that. It's so predictable. They don't get it, but you do. You must respond to the challenges, otherwise we will be here all night. Uh, I'm... I'm in sufficiently intrigued by the ending of this to disallow the challenge, so you gain one further point. He replied, what is hateful to you, don't do unto others. All the rest is commentary. The entire UDHR is summed up in Article 1. Everything else is detail. The first tells us why this declaration, because all human beings are endowed with both reason and conscience. This is why we need protection and how we're going to get it. Empathy is at its core, so is reason. It's for every man and a woman and about us all. What human rights? Freedom, equality and dignity. How should they be respected? By acting towards one another in a spirit of solidarity. Remember, this was not intended to be a legal document, but a moral statement, as René Cassin one of the main drafters said... Ah, yes, we've got a challenge. Where's the challenge come from? Deviation oh. from the inevitable supremacy of law, Chairman. <laughs> Go off again. Do you know, I think I'll allow that, really, because uh, I don't really know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That'll become increasingly obvious during the year, but I just sort of start with a sort of... Yes, a very, very good challenge. Uh, I'm, afraid you, yeah. I'm afraid you lose a point, he gains one. Off you Total go again. <laughs> You can tell my opponents have not got the point. This is its inspirational and aspirational mission to reach us all. Without it, there is no route to privacy or social security or foundation to the prohibition on torture or due process. René Cassin described these values as higher than life itself. If we don't have this first article, we have nothing. That is why... 60 years later, we are still celebrating it because it speaks to ethical values. Yes. Repetition of the word we. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
I think no, I think that's <laughs> tendentious. Um, yes, another chance. Um, Mr. Chair, uh, repetition of Rene Cassin. I am getting, I'm getting, I'm getting a bit pissed off with Rene Cassin. So let's, I'll allow the challenge. I'll and don't forget, not only yes, did no, he no, give no, us I, the UDHR, but also the Fifth Republic of France. So I, mean, I can't have two challenges at the same time. You've got one for Rene Cassin. Yes, okay. And you have got sort of like, uh, you have got 15 seconds. It builds on the Enlightenment values of liberty, but it adds an understanding of what we need as human beings. Uh, just, just in time. Uh, yes. Cultural relativism, drawing the UDHR back to the Enlightenment. I disagree. <laughs> we need educating these guys. I'm, I'm certainly against cultural relativism, you know, but on the whole, but I think I'm going to disallow it because I think you've been a bit unfair. It's a universal treated. document. Yeah, 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 it is a universal <laughs> But she was a bit unfairly treated over Cassatt, so I'm allowed. Right, that's the end. Now, at the end of that, how many, how many, how many, what is the score at the end of that? Oh, sorry, nine seconds to go. Oh, sorry. My God. Sorry, my, my mistake. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mention <Rene> hesitation. <laughs> there was no mm in it. Instead, they said the foundation is us all. What we need to live as human beings. That is what made it. So the total number of points at the end of that round, which Francesca has, she has increased her total from the original 10. She now has 12 points. Fantastic. <laughs> of course, as you'll see, as there were successful challenges, you'll see that some of the people starting. So we're going now to Article 5, and Shami is going to speak for two minutes on that. Has Shami made any successful challenges? No, she hasn't. So she starts with. Uh, <laughs> don't feel bad about it, Jim. Uh, you start. You start with. You start with ten, and off you go now. This ain't no detail, Francesca. No one shall be subject to torture or cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment. This has to be the right of all rights. It is the one absolute repeated right. I think it's pretty difficult not to repeat the word rights in a thing. I went to so debate, much trouble called, not to, now you tell me. In a debate called the right of rights, it's pretty difficult not to mention rights, I think, anyway. No, not, not allowed. The one absolute non-negotiable in a framework otherwise necessarily filled with constant balancing acts between freedom and protection. Equal treatment, as we've heard, is a vital discipline, but not if there is no flaw, no bare minimum standard of decent treatment. Personal privacy, social security. Yes. Repetition of treatment. Repetition of treatment. I, I, I th we are getting a bit bored with the word treatment, aren't we? I think, <laughs> Peter, I'm going to allow that one. I just, just can't get away from the word treatment a bit. Yes, that can't be. Yes, at one point to you. Personal privacy, <coughs> social security, even effective legal remedies and due process are all subject to argument about application and qualification, particularly in times of emergency. But never the rule against cruelty, which must bind individuals and states, parents and policemen, and which distinguishes democratic people from tyrants and terrorists at all times. The clue is in the word inhuman. It is the antithesis of human rights values. Oh, 
Where did we get that from? Deviation into non-grammatical structure. Syntactical... <laughs> syntactical confusion. There was hesitancy over yes. antithesis as well, wasn't there? Yes, have you claimed for the... You're claiming hesitation over antithesis. Well, that's what Connor said. No, no, no. Mine is deviation into syntactical incomprehensibility. It's a quite different challenge for people who know the game well. I don't know. I just... I very rarely have such a chance to lord it over Charmy, so I'm going to allow both challenges. <laughs> Neglect this principle, take the piss out of it, deny its paramount status, particularly in this dangerous period they call the war on terror. And I fear that we won't just see more torture under cover of extraordinary euphemisms like extraordinary rendition. We won't just see more cruelty from Haringey to Mumbai, make a joke out of that kind of guillotine. I guarantee that the other rights and freedoms will be diluted and sacrificed even more readily. The whole framework will tumble like a house of cards. It's no longer enough to say, not in our name, ladies and gentlemen. It is high time. We each said, not on my watch. Well, you have 28... Uh, hesitation, there are 28 seconds remaining. Yes, there are 28 seconds remaining. I'm afraid uh, we'll have to... Uh, Jamie, you'll have another 28 seconds to go. I have nothing more to say. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about that in the rules. Nothing in the rules about that at all. Uh, well, shall we... Um, I wish we'd give her a point for honesty and then move on. Yes? Yes. yes. All right. Okay, that's fine. So we move on now What's to Connor. What's her score? Oh, her score. What is her score at the end of it? Eight, eight. Eight, eight score. Yes, two successful challenges, yes. Now we go on to uh, Connor now. So starting with two minutes, starting now, Connor. I have an extra 28 seconds because they are going spare and... <laughs> This person, known as me, has a lot to say. Deviation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's talking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Thank you. I'll, 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 I'll definitely allow that. He wasn't talking about rights, was he at all? He was just a, a bit of personal aggrandizement, I thought. No. Right, no okay. On we go. Everyone has the right to an effective remedy by the competent national tribunals for acts violating the fundamental rights granted him by the constitution or by the law. That is the right of rights. Right. The right of rights. Yes. Repetition. You are allowed repeat the word rights ad nauseam. Rights, rights, rights. No, I didn't. We have precedent. I'm a lawyer. We, we, there was no ruling about ad nauseam at all. There was just an allowance of saying the word rights. So uh, I'm, going to I'm going to give the challenge a successful challenge. Uh. Without remedies, all of the rest of the stuff you're going to hear tonight is so much moonshine, fantasy, rubbish, writing letters to Father Christmas, devoting time to and missives in the direction of Santa Claus. You need these things known as remedies, which is contained within the article, if you are going to make rights real. It... Yes. <laughs> Better no breach than the most effective remedy. Counter-propaganda is not within the rules. <laughs> go, go on, Connor. <laughs> I have my point, and have made it too. 
This says rights granted by the Constitution and law. None of this nonsense where it enters into your soul at birth. None of this rubbish about your finally getting to the sky and saying, there it is for real. It is secured by struggle. And that turns it into a political event. Rights need remedies. And they need... Yes. Why is that a political event that rights need remedies? It's a, it's a judicial process. It's not a political process. That's the very point of it, that it's not a political act. It has to remain a judicial act for the remedy to be effective. But being positive... Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I have to deal with the challenge. I, th I, th I, was, getting a bit, I was getting a bit demagogic yeah. as well. Really. So I'm going, to, I'm going to allow that Thank challenge. You. Thank you. Yes. Being puzzled isn't a basis for a challenge, but never mind. The important... <laughs> It talks of competent national tribunals, judges, male and female, from all around the country, a variety of such persons sitting in adjudication over us, whose purpose it is to deliver seriously through the use of lawyers. Yes, Francesca. Deviation from everything you've said you've believed for the last 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't think we can have biographical challenges. Uh, I, I mean, goodness knows what people know about each other's background. We really can't. Appalling statements. He knows, don't yeah. worry. Yeah, no, we, we have to leave. Uh, yes. Split infinitive. Seriously, to seriously deliver where no man has gone before. Up with such a challenge, I will not push. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, because we've got to keep this grammatic, I'm going to allow that. Uh, yes, yeah, split infinitive. We can't have this sort of spockery going on here. All right, so on we there is no article than which it is more important to defend than Article 8. It puts the emphasis where it belongs on securing outcomes. You will hear fantasy, you will hear these terrific claims about good when in fact my right delivers. You can hear this ambitious claims. Okay, so he, he, Connor ends up with 11 because you remember he had a couple of challenges before which added to, so he, had, although he lost some from that, he also had some gains from before. Okay, on we go. Now we're going to, uh, to Article 9 and, uh, and Helena Kennedy is going to speak on behalf of that. Well, the reason I've chosen Article 9 as distinct from <coughs> Article 11 that's in the front of my, uh, my chair is because it is much more simple and clear. It is more than the mere general verbiage of Article 1, Francesca. Repeat more. Ah, well done. Uh, she's just getting started. Let's give her a go. No, let's, 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 let's let her get going. We'll, I'll she's reject that challenge. me, though. No, I will. Yes, don't expect fairness, <laughs> equity. I'm going to repeat that last sentence because <laughs> the bell covered it. It is more than the mere generalised verbiage, which is Article 1, which is a bit of a warm-up. Here we're getting into the real stuff. No one shall be subjected to arbitrary arrest, detention or exile. And this is a wrong that is perpetrated around the world on a much greater scale even than torture. And it is as egregious. It draws on experience that goes back to the very beginning of humankind. And once power is seized, this is the act of tyrants, of kings, of governments from ancient Babylon straight through to George Bush. It's about people being disappeared. This is just a whole lot of lists, ancient Babylon through to Nebuchadnezzar, and it's a way of using up time. 
It's a challenge based on what is about to be said. This is long. You don't know how long the list is going to go on. We can't have, you know, preventative detention. Preventative detention by Conor Geertish. We can't have prophetic challenges. Right. It's called preemptive strikes. George Bush is also in favour. And I rather enjoyed the way she said egregious. Anyway. Point of, uh, of fact. Um, I'm Babylon... sorry, there was a hesitation in the challenge. So I, Go. Go, great. Okay. This this really deals with lifting people off the streets. It deals with rendition. It deals with the business of people being locked up without trial. It deals with the other thing of forcing people off their land, out of their homes. It's happening in Palestine. Yes, it's happening in... The forcing somebody off their land is not a deprivation of liberty. It is an exiling of people from the place where they belong. Mm. I'm, going to ask the, I'm going to ask the audience about this. Will you, those who agree with Elaine, will you raise your hand? Article so 9 is about Palestine. And those, thank you very much. <laughs> That's uh, 100, 146 in favour of it. And those in favour, Jonathan, please. Thank you. No, the good the human rights lawyers. Thank 27, you. 27 for Jonathan. It's the way sociologists do statistics. Thank you. Very much. <laughs> on, we, on we go. But this uh, starts by setting out the first of the due process rights. That the only way that you can actually give force to rights is by giving people a way of challenging them. And habeas corpus came out of that, and indeed introducing it into the Universal <coughs> Declaration was a way of saying to the world, you cannot just lock people up. Uh, she's yes. begun to defend Article 8, because uh, Article uh, 9 is now spilling over into Article 8 remedies, well, so they, deviation they into a different article. They all each other, as we know. Yeah, the point, spillage. They all we spill over into each other. Oh. Bad lawyering. But we, but we are being treated like Siamese twins, which we're not. No, I'm, 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 Bad I'm, lawyering. I, I suspect that the spillage argument could open a can of dregs, so we won't, we won't, we won't go down that line. I'll, I will not allow that challenge. On you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> I do like Helena. Yes, on you. <laughs> oh, flirting with the chair. <laughs> Have you never flirted with a judge, Jonathan? <laughs> well, not at work, no. <laughs> anyway, that's now all over. Let's get on. Okie does. He gets a point. Jonathan gets a point. Jonathan gets a point. No, it's laissez-majesté, <laughs> so he doesn't get a point. Attacks on the chair, you get no points for that. So it's straight off. Elena's 30 seconds left. The, the recent business of taking people to other countries and outsourcing torture has been one of the things that has happened with the, as, as an abuse of this right. And so I... I yes, Francesca. Noticeable hesitation. Mm. She was hesitating a bit. Yes, I'm going to allow that challenge. That. She's got about 24 seconds to go. I'm okay. going to allow Francesca a point and take one away from okay. Helena and on we go. When, when I was speaking about due process rights, I was talking about the importance of being able to challenge 
the, the, the wrongs that we've uh, had set out inside uh, the Universal Declaration. If you aren't able to do that, and I know that it links into the other, other articles, if you aren't able to have a process by which we can uh, say to government what you're doing is wrong. Yes, very good. Right, at the end of that, uh, Helena has 15, 15 points altogether, so uh, I think she's in the lead. That's a bit of luck, isn't it? Uh, and, um, <laughs> anyway, article... What a surprise. <laughs> article 12. Now I'm going to call upon Jonathan Cooper to, uh, to speak on behalf of that. And uh, the rest of the panel may be aware that Jonathan has made more challenges than anybody else. So a little bit of reciprocity might be called for. All right, off we go. It's not true. Um, <laughs> Hesitation and currying favour with the chair. I know I'm a man, Laurie, but it might work. <laughs> I don't know. I only just got started. I'm, 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 no, I won't allow that. Let him go on. Well, I'm here to speak about privacy or private life as a human right, and we underestimate the right to privacy at our peril. If we, tr we treat it cavalierly at our cost, and we ignore it at the price of democracy, civilization, culture, family security, and probably more important... I don't need to say uh, uh, anything at all. And most importantly, <laughs> our happiness. A society that recognises the privacy of those within it is one that is at peace with itself. Privacy is the major majoritarian right. <coughs> oh, God. I, 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 just, I just think we're making him worse. I think we'll just let him go for a bit. No, we'll just, no we just ignore, we'll just ignore a bit of this for a moment. Because okay. after all, it is our majoritarian right. Sorry, off you go. Uh, do apologies. It is the majoritarian right, the one that we all depend on, but also many minorities rely on it. It is a crucial refuge for minorities. And of course, it is not an absolute right. Yes, Repeated minorities, I'm afraid. Very important term. Hugely important, yes, but, but, but mustn't be repeated in this not context. Not if, if there's a majority of minorities. So much for equal treatment and brotherhood, Francesca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to allow that because I was nice last time, so we'll allow that. So, successful challenge, yes. Uh, of course, privacy. Uh, can, can I start, Chair? Yes. Uh, yes of please. course, privacy is not an absolute right. It, it never could be. But striking the, striking the right balance between private life and community is what brings us harmony. So what is our private life right? What is privacy? Privacy is, the, privacy is the right to be let alone. It is the right to interrelate with others, to become who you are, or the right just to be. It gives us our physical and our moral integrity. It gives us our identity, whether as a person or as a member of a group, a minority, or peoples. <coughs> It protects you from the intrusive power of, state, of the state and of the media, whilst also safeguarding you from harassment, interference from those who you want to avoid. And then also, very importantly, privacy forbids rape. It requires that the law will shield us from those who will foreseeably harm us. It gives us reproductive choices. It Chairman, yes. it's well, just turned into a fantasy of all our wishes in the world. It ceased to have any coherence. There. And that is the point of privacy, Connor. That's why it is the most important me, Chair, right. could I have some support here? Yes, I'm, I'm being, I'm being I'm verbally attacked. 
I, I need I was, about three I points. I was being rather carried away, really, on this, and I thought that that was probably not good, really, that I was being... So, I, no, I, I, was being, but, no, I was being led to believe that he was providing Mr. Uh, for all the ills of the uh, world. Mr. Chair, I, mean, I, I can, no, I can, I can substantiate every point I've just made with case law from around the world, so <laughs> I'm afraid... I will take a vote on whether we want him to do that. I think not. So, with case citations as well as case names. The challenge is successful, and if you continue to argue, I shall take another point off you. You have 21 seconds to go. Well, it does give you reproductive choices and access to medical treatment, and it also allows you to end your days in a dignified manner. It offers hope for a clean environment, and it gives you a right to access to information. It, en it enables you to understand yourself and to learn about who you are. It is the bedrock upon which all other UDHR rights are guaranteed. <laughs> yes, very good. She just got the whistle in just before the challenge came, so that's right. So can we have a total number of applause? So, yes. So, uh, Jonathan has gained 13 points uh, altogether, so his original 10 plus 3, and now we move to the final submission, which is going to be made by Peter Townsend for Article 22. Peter, starting now. The creation and recreation of Social Security is the best and most fundamental way of rolling back the worst excesses of neoliberal capitalism and unifying the multiple societies of the world. It underlies other rights, like access to education and health care. Of all the human rights articles, this is one deliberately ignored by economists, the G8, transnational corporations, even the G77. By providing universal entitlement to cash or income in kind to children, to women, to the disabled, to unemployed, to the injured, to the elderly, the Millennium Development Goals could be met and poverty and inequality massively reduced. Implementation of this social institution <laughs> would do a lot in my view to defeat some of the other other abuses. Uh, we've got a hesitation. hesitation. Challenge from Francesco. <laughs> successful challenge. Thank you. And start again, please, now. Please. Implementation, which I care a lot about, of this social institution would do a lot to defeat terror, abuse, and crime, and achieve... Another challenge from... Repetition of institution. Institution. Oh, yeah. A lot of institutions I around. I was asked to start again and I was in the middle of a sentence. He, Chairman, he wasn't. He is trying... Oh. He wasn't. No. He always does this, Chairman. Due process. Simple due process. I'm, 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 I'm fundamentally a populist, so I'm going with the audience sentiment. <laughs> Anything to ingratiate myself with anybody, so that I'm not going to allow that challenge. On you go, Peter, and you have 43 oh, seconds. Uh, what has terrorism got to do with Social Security? <laughs> what, what? I didn't hear that. What's terrorism got to do with the right to social security? Because it will prevent societies from rising in anger against their other groups in, uh, and allow them to get some prevention. But what about... I, I know, I'm... 
Now, having, having unleashed the people, I've now got to stamp on them. I'm not having you just deciding everything for me. No, no, I'm not. No, I think we're not going to... Like we're not, I, I just feel inclined... come strictly, No, no, yes, it is. I, no, you're absolutely right, Francesca. Quiet now. Uh, and we're... Um, <laughs> and on, Peter, on you go, and you've got 42 seconds left. What do you expect? Equity? I mean, 42 seconds. I think it matters to respect within the family and survival for millions. After the financial crash of 1929, all governments were obliged to break with conventional monetary economics and adopt policies to escape the worst years of the Depression. It was Franklin... Yes. Helen. I thought, why is this a, a, a history class? I didn't think it was. Uh, well, you can, I mean, you can invoke history and, I presume... It's, right up, to the min it's I, right up to the minute with the financial I'm, crash today. I'm not quite sure. I think anyone who's had to spend so many years at the University of Essex <laughs> as Peter Townsend deserves some sympathy. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll disallow the challenge just in an arbitrary fashion. I want a generalised challenge against all of the speakers, except for me. <laughs> of you do. In the, I thought that we were supposed to come with an unprepared text. I didn't know, I thought if you were, if, you know, repetition is something that we all do in speech, and everybody prepared their text in advance and read it out. I think that's inappropriate. Elaine, we really can't start cutting off the branch on which we're all sitting. Let's, 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 let's present 20 seconds left, Peter. I'm, I'm take, taking no more challenges on this one. Off you go, Peter. The carte blanche. Roosevelt and Keynes, who used Social Security as integral to the economic strategy of government, borrowing of job creation and spending on the welfare state as the foundation of Bretton Woods and post-war recovery. Their message has been undermined and thus... Yes, there we go. <laughs> so I'm, go I'm going to now... We we because it is, this is also rather a little bit like Strictly Come Dancing, uh, and, uh, and, and I, I, don't, I don't want to, 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 to dominate to too much. We are going to take the pulse of the audience. I'm going to announce the scores, and then we'll take the pulse of the audience and decide then by an astute management by me of the audience response and the scores who should be the three winners from this. So can we just hear the scores to start off with? So could we, uh, could we go through, let's go through in the, in the order of they were speaking. So what is Frances Francesca's score? Article 1 has 17. 17. Uh, so se 17 there. And, uh, and, and Charlie's score for Article 5? 11. And... Uh, Mountain. Connor's score for Article 8. 14. <laughs> oh, dear, dear. Uh, and Article 9, Helena. 27. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> 15, sorry. 15, 15, sorry. Uh, Jonathan's score. 14. <laughs> Twelve. Now, so that means that technically the three winners are Francesca, and uh, and we and uh, Helena, Helena second, and then it's a tie between Connor and uh, Jonathan. Uh, then, but I think we'll just have a little show. We just have. A, I think 
Should we ask people to raise their hand or something like that? Yeah, just sure. as a yeah, little sure. So I shall just call out all those names again, and I'd just like to raise your hands. It's terrible. It's quite the article. No, I think it's very important that this game has actually dispensed with protection against torture, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think it, it demonstrates everything that's right about educational <laughs> institutions in Britain today. Round one and a half. It's quite right that actually we should depersonalise this and ask people to raise article. their hands in article. relation to the article <laughs> rather than the person. So can we, all those people who would like to express, can you only vote once, please, so that we're going to a terrible state. So all those people who believe that Article 1 is the right that should remain at the end of this evening, would you like to raise your hands now? That's roughly 47. Right, then Article, uh, Article 5, how many people feel that's the that's, that is more for Article 5, I think, yes? Article 5 is plus. And then Article 8, please, could I see that for Article 8? And Article 9, Article 9, no, 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 Article 9, and Article 12, and Article 22. <coughs> well, that I think means that So, what alteration does that make? So, that means that quite definitely Francesca is through to the next round because she has an audience vote plus the score of 17. And it also means that. Well, that's a bit difficult then, isn't it? How are we going to decide between that? Well, it also means, I think, that Elena is going to be through, isn't she? And then we will have Obviously. one other person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought... I thought we might as well walk. There we are. I've got a vote against Elena from Zoe. It tells me that I'm fiddling the figures, so, so she's not there. So we're going to... So it's Francesca, and who do you... Who, who, if we add that up... Well, well can't we vote, the, the panel? Torture has to stay in. And <laughs> Article 5... Mm. So Shami is through, and the third and the third person will be then twenty two will be Peter. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So those are. Thank you. Like papal smoke, it just emerged. That didn't really the answer to that. Now, when we move on to, uh, we move now to the second. Uh, where, where have I gone? To the second part, to round two. Now, what happens in round two, uh, it gets a little bit more... We get, this is an odd evening, really, because we get a little bit more serious, really, as the evening goes on. Um, and in this round two, the three successful panellists, who we've just named, that's uh, Francesca and uh, Shami and, uh, and Peter, are going to have to defend their right from the three people who were knocked out in the first round. Um, we go, so... They have got, on, on their tables here, they have got sealed envelopes. No one in the audience has these, do they? No. They've got sealed envelopes. And in these sealed envelopes, there's some help given to those people who are going to raise questions, because there are some hypotheticals there about how would you respond, how would you defend your right if this particular situation occurred? How would you respond to this situation? Or so on. So they can use those. They don't have to use those to mount their attack upon that right as not being the paramount right, but they may if they wish. So if you see people opening envelopes or reciting from things found in envelopes, that's the reason why. So, uh, so, so each are going to be 
are going to be questioned about their particular right now by those members of the panel who didn't succeed in the first round. So I think the first thing we want to do, so we're going to ask Francesca first of all. Uh, so she is here now. Would be three losers on the panel? Yeah, yes. Uh, but he's going to, yes, so he's going to, so we're going to ask, the, Connor's going to lead off the losers on this one. So he's going to question Francesca. And we need to hand these out. Who's this going to? So that's going out to article yes. five. But John's going to lead off on that. I, I wish you wouldn't just go on and on about us being losers, Joe. <laughs> yes, okay. I'm about to talk about equality of esteem Some and dignity. Some of us are enjoying okay. it. Okay, okay, off, <laughs> off we go. So I'll allow, then other people can join in. So here's Francesca who's going to be defending Article 1 and saying that should be the paramount right. All human beings born free and equal in dignity and rights, endowed with reason and conscience, and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. Would you like to begin your questioning and your arguments against Francesca's claim? Uh, Connor. I'm going to put uh, to Francesca a hypothetical, and I'm going to ask her to comment on it. So here's the hypothetical. A child is born with anencephaly, a condition which means that the child is lacking a large part of the brain. There is no hope that the child can ever achieve any kind of consciousness. The medical authorities propose actively to terminate the child's life. The child's mother wants to offer hydration and nutrition but do nothing to keep the child alive. The child's father wants the hospital to do all within its power to keep the child alive, albeit he acknowledges that the prognosis is very poor. And my question to Francesca on that hypothetical is what guidance does the Universal Declaration in general give, and in particular Article 1, which I'll remind you, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. So that is the hypothetical we start with. Can I just clarify your hypothetical? Uh, is this a, a baby just born or a child that's uh, lived for a while? It's a baby that's just, just well, born. Just born. Shall we say it's definitely born, but it's very, very, very little. Okay. I think what your hypothetical does, first of all, is demonstrate the importance of Article 1, because what Article 1 actually did was tie the rights part of the Declaration with the human part of the Declaration. There are many people around the world, actually, who are very critical of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights as being a creature of the Enlightenment. I was, Jonathan was interrupting me before and, and missing my point. He occasionally does that, not often. Uh, the, the sense was, and the sense still is in some parts of the world, was that the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was really an attempt by the West to impose its values on the rest of the world. And those values were loosely seen as championing the idea of liberty, freedom, um, uh, freedom from torture, due process, really, really important rights, but in a framework where the individual was paramount. And the framework was, was perceived as being one of individuals uh, fighting tyranny, uh, standing up for their right freedom of speech and freedom of conscience, but existing as isolated individuals. And there were critiques on the Enlightenment from the left to the right and in between, from Marx to Burke to Benson. Now, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights very deliberately used the phrase human rights. In my view, if they'd had a good uh, uh, spin doctor at the time, they might have called it the Universal Declaration of Human Birthrights. 
because I think the purpose of the Universal Declaration was to establish what it is to be a human being, to try to understand what is the nature of humanity, what is it that makes us distinctive, and then evaluate what it is we need to flourish. And part of that understanding is that we live in a society, in a community, and unless the community is functioned, the individuals in it won't. Now, that, is a, that, is, that whole philosophy is impacted in Article 1. It's not just about individuals facing state tyranny, but as Eleanor Roosevelt put it, the, the application of the philosophy of human rights in the little places, in everyday life. Every single person is born free and equal in dignity and rights, and that includes a child with encephalitis. Okay. There are different interpretations of you dignity. What I think was, we do now is we test that. Yes. Other yeah. Including my colleagues on yes, the, the other attention uh, Jonathan. But uh, I think it was to your answer, it includes the, the child. Uh, but, uh, can I ask you whether you say it should be birthrights? A second question I would ask Francesca is, supposing this child is perfectly well, but not yet born, does the Universal Declaration apply to such a life or potential life? And if not, why not? The, as you know, the case law on this suggests that there is an evolving life before birth. And uh, I think it would very much depend at what stage in the pregnancy whether the Universal Declaration of Human Rights philosophy is relevant. Because it is a philosophy, it is a declaration, it is not intended to be, that came after it, a set of clear, legal, enforceable rights. It's to help us, guide us in these very difficult situations like this. I think that you could argue that it's dig the, the dignity of the child, once it's born, um, lies in just feeding it uh, nutrition and hydration and not in trying to keep the child alive because their life would have no dignity. I don't think you're likely to come to the conclusion that, that any life is of no worth at all, certainly once born, and therefore the first option of just allowing the child to die will be probably your least preferred. But the point about the Universal Declaration is not to give you a clear answer. It's not even meant to be a, a legally enforceable document that you can claim through the courts. It is to help guide us, it's to remind us of the sanctity of life and the worth of every single individual. Well, and disability uh, is not in any way reduced that worth. We have two other people to come in to question you. I don't know whether Helena wants to do it, but Jonathan, you do, I think. But what I don't understand is what, what dignity means in that process. I understand what rights are, and I understand what the right to life means. I understand what the prohibition on torture and ill treatment means in this context. Um, but what does dignity mean? It, it, it's a, it, it's actually, it has no meaning. It's a very, very good introduction. It's a very good way of, of setting the stage. But that notion itself of dignity in this context um, it is meaningless. And it's a, very, it's a dangerous concept. And we, we're seeing it develop more and more and more in, in human rights and in equality law. And, and therefore, one person's dignity, protecting one person's dignity, might actually be um, subjecting another person to, to a human rights violation. I think if you understand Article 1 as the framework article which sets the tone for all the other articles, I think uh, the prohibition against torture, which my opponent so beautifully articulated, fleshes out, it's not just torture but cruel and degrading treatment, inhuman and degrading treatment, fleshes out what dignity means, what the right to dignity means by showing you the opposite of mm. dignity. 
But I think that the point about the word dignity is to try to capture the fact that human beings are more than animals and they're more than, than, than beings that need material wants catered for. There is a conscience, as the first article says. But why says. isn't it the right to life that governs this? Why are you trying to say that dignity governs this? It should be the... the, the I, I have no doubt on what, on what you said about this child having a right to life. So what happens to the child is governed by that value, not some amorphous notion of dignity, which could mean anything to a number of, of different people. Well, because it's I, not just about keeping somebody alive, it's also about how you treat them. Well, and, thank you. Thank and, you. And, 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 yeah, I don't care, <laughs> this is too important. As, as I said, but my voice sounded a little different down there. <laughs> but, you know, uh, it's quite we're, broad. We're this is people. not just about the right to yeah, life, but about the way yeah. you're treated. And that is what the whole point of adding dignity was. And what we have to Francesca, understand is... I just is remind you, we've got, we're giving everybody yeah. seven minutes, so you've got one minute left. And okay. I do want Elena to make a point well, as the, well. The point I wanted to make was that... This throws up very clearly one of the great problems that people will uh, um, articulate around the world about the Universal Declaration, which is that the mother here is going to say to you, Francesca, what good is the Universal Declaration of, of Human Rights going to do for me living here in X, where the law of my country privileges my husband's view over mine because I'm a woman, and will allow him to have the, the, the conversation with the, the medical authorities and will allow him to go before a court and his evidence will have more value than mine uh, in the court system. What, what, what good does the Universal Declaration of Human Rights do for me, she'll say to you, uh, Ms. Clark, um, other than make me, give me some kind of feel-good factor which is no reality in my, in my law or in my culture or my community? I'll take a response and that'll be the end of this. It gives you an argument, and the argument is a basis of a movement, and it's particularly relevant because this is applicable to all the peoples of the world, because the concept of dignity, although it is Kantian and comes from Western philosophy as well, it was heralded by the drafters who came from the South and the East as a fundamental understanding of human nature. And it is that alchemy in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that makes it relevant around the world and the potential basis of a movement. And now I'll have to you. By the way, I can see, I know people probably want to come in by this stage, and in the third round you'll have that opportunity because when, the, when there are just two rights left, then you'll have an opportunity to, to ask and to, to, to discuss that then, won't you? So I'm not, So we're now going to go to Shami to ask her to speak uh, on, uh, she's going to defend her right and she's going to be, uh, the other panellists, the other, Connor and Jonathan and Elena are also going to try to uh, disrupt the notion that her right should be paramount. So um, uh, would you like to go off on this Jonathan? Okay Shami, this is your hypothetical. Uh, the, the, the police apprehend a notorious criminal at random who they know from reliable sources is implicated in terrorism. You all hear this? Is it, is it oh, sorry, okay. Uh, uh, the police apprehend a notorious criminal ra called Random, whom they know from reliable sources is implicated in a terrorist plot to destroy London. The plan entails the detonation of a nuclear device in central London, which the authorities have good reason to believe is already in place. They also have good reason to believe that Random knows where the bomb is. In interrogation, Ramdam boasts he knows where it is and taunts the police that they cannot do anything to get the information out of him because he knows his human rights. Should the police torture or otherwise abuse Ramdam in order to get this information? 
Well, this hypothetical is no surprise because <laughs> it is the infamous nuclear ticking bomb scenario. Variations on this scenario have been... Uh, You're all right, I'm sorry. We, I think we're just a little bit close to the microphone. Thank you. This is the infamous nuclear ticking bomb scenario that has been posited. Uh, variations have been posited throughout history and indeed very recently in the war against terror. It's never arisen as far as we know in human history and yet it becomes the excuse for so much torture and inhuman and degrading treatment. So the declaration is clear. There is no, no excuse for torturing a suspect even in this scenario. Now that seems, I know, because we have to assume that this is really happening, that there really is the bomb and that we really know and that he's boasting and so on. This is, uh, this is, this is tough, which is, why, which is why it is put. Um, all I can say is that what an individual officer, what I would do, what Helena or Jonathan or Francesca or any of these people would actually do in that situation is something that we don't really know tonight. But what I do know is this, if we start making excuses now, if we start recalibrating the de declaration, giving an answer other than an absolute no, let alone having some of the conversations that have been had at Harvard Law School and elsewhere in recent years, saying we should change the law, we should have a little bit of torture in extremis by way of judicial warrant. If we do that, rather than leaving the officer to take his chances before a court of law thereafter, we compromise on this. We, as human rights people, are lost forever. sounded to me there, Shami, that you were sort of saying, we might do it, and the law would look the other way. So it sounds to me as though there's an allegation here of double standards, that you, you don't rule out the morality of such interventions, you just don't want the law to notice them. Is that it? Is that the way you reconcile these uh, difficult issues? Um, well, I'm hardly going to say yes to that, am I, Connor? Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I'm not saying that the law would look the other way. I'm saying that if you torture someone, you will be, you will be convicted. And, and, and it's not just about the ethics. It is, it is about the law because this, because this principle has been backed up, not just in the inspirational declaration, but in legal instruments all over, all over the free world. Um, I don't think one should do it. I've spoken to, um, to anti-terror cops. I've spoken to people who've been in, not this situation because it's never arisen, but people who've been tempted to go for ill treatment. And they say it's not a good idea. It's not, it's not a good idea in the moment, and it breeds more terrorism than it ever solves. But, of course, we've never actually had the nuclear ticking bomb scenario. All I'm saying is if we did... If I indulged in this, and I hope I wouldn't, I hope there would be another way, and I hope I would take it, but if I did, I will go, I will plead guilty, the law will condemn me and convict me, and all that's left thereafter is sentencing. I want to bring in another, oh, I, I want to bring another critic, Helena. Yeah. Um, Shami, you know that as well as I do, that the truth is that if, uh, if you were in that room and you had had a, uh, listened in on a satellite call from your suspect who's in the room, and you had heard him say that he had planted the nuclear device um, and uh, it was uh, timed and it was due to go off at 3 o'clock this afternoon, that you, knowing uh, uh, and loving your family, your children, your friends, the way you do is you would do whatever you could do to make him talk. And I would, and everybody in this audience would do the same thing. The thing that what one is concerned about here is about 
the authorities taking that on their shoulders. And so what you have to admit is that you're really only concerned about it being integrated into law, as Connor has said. No, I'm not, because, um, because if I say this is only a legal concept and not an ethical concept, then I'm allowing all sorts of behaviour, including I'm encouraging people not to just do this in a nuclear what? atrocity, but to do it to baby Pete and Helena, I'm never going to do that. What and I'll tell you what else, if you're allowed to put the hypothetical, I'm allowed to challenge it. And if, I'm, if I've got this brilliant satellite listening service that I've been listening in on, I've heard all this stuff that you posit that makes this so certain as an outcome, it's quite possible that I've heard where the bomb is as well. <laughs> I, I just wanted to come back to say we know that the, the circumstances are unlikely and therefore that's why the rule has to be so strong. But what about having it that the Prime Minister himself would have to come down with the electrodes and he would have to apply them and he would have to suffer the consequences if the evidence on which he was doing it was, was based? How about that? We are not going to modify this principle. Okay not as an ethical principle and not as a legal principle by way of judicial warrant or prime ministerial action. If this doomsday scenario ever arises, then individual ethical people you know, will have to make their judgment. But we compromise one iota today, even in a light-hearted debate at the LSE, and we send the most dangerous signal to humanity. Sure, there's one, there's one minute left, and Jonathan, I'm ringing in. Uh, and um, you said you would um, plead guilty to having um, conducted, carried out this activity. If I did it. If you did it, yeah. What, would, what, the, what should the sentence... Which is a big if. No, I no, of course, I accept that. But um, what, what should the sentence be? You've saved London. What should the sentence be? A jury won't convict her, especially mm. if I'm defending her. <laughs> She's pleaded guilty. What's your sentence? Well, she's going to get me bound over, I think, not to do, not to do it again. No, I'm going to get you a peerage. You know, that's what they would give you for shamming. Okay, well, uh, that, 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 that ends that particular inquisition, and we just have one more inquisition to go. And at the end of this, I'm, we're going to invite you in the audience, I'm going to vote on the two remaining ones, and then we're going to gallop forward until the ending of this session, which is in about 23 minutes' time, uh, just before 8 o'clock. So I'm going to now ask people to have the hypothetical and get ready to question uh, Peter. And I don't know who wants to start by questioning Peter. Helena, I understand that you're going to start to question uh, Peter. So would you, like to, would you like to begin now? And we have just seven minutes for this particular cross-examination. Right. You'll all remember that, um, that uh, this is the, uh, the right to social security. The newly established government of Erewhon has just come into power after a bitter battle against a vicious former regime responsible for the death of hundreds and thousands of citizens and the destruction of much of the country's infrastructure and wealth. The government immediately holds elections, which it wins with a large majority, and its campaign pledge is today work, tomorrow, tomorrow leisure. As part of its strategy of tough love, all welfare benefits are withheld from those able to work, with all such men and women being required to engage in state-stipulated labour in return for the provision of food and lodgings. After five years of immense national effort, and despite the absence of any credible support from the international community, the country has rebuilt its reserves, and it's moving towards a position of stability. 
However, its leadership remains convinced that if provided, Social Security will sap the nation's will and end in the country's hard-won prosperity being lost. With the slogan, work by all is leisure for all, and a mandate to continue with forced labor for the jobless, they win a second general election with a huge majority, popular support. With, the slogan, with that slogan, and uh, to critics of the regime, the government reply that the, only the people from Erewhon can understand the needs of Erewhon, and that the people are happy with things as they are. Universal human rights means what my country's people say is universal for them. What is universal for us is the idea that the able bodies should not get away with not working. Is the president right? Uh, the president isn't right. I, I, I'm not a lawyer. Um, I'm pleased to say on, the, on this particular <laughs> platform. And uh, we have to remember that human rights is a, a multidisciplinary exercise. And the president, if I can just uh, have that for a moment, <laughs> um, was misrepresenting, in my belief, from long historical experience of looking at uh, what populations themselves say and believe and actually uh, the difference between what they believe and what they say can often be rather dependent on the kind of exploitation and the kind of uh, political rule that prevails and it's usually authoritarian and I think that what we need to move towards in the support for the Universal Declaration is to begin acknowledging uh, the words in this article are international cooperation, for example. And I take my lead partly on that because I think we have to understand that setting up a collective social relationship system, which Social Security illustrates, is absolutely vital in the development uh, of human rights generally. We've heard and do still have too much concentration on individual rights and we look very closely at individual marginal cases which are often extremely hard to resolve both in uh, action and in law and what I want to ask is that we give more attention in our support for human rights to collective uh, perceptions and collective experiences and the building of a preventive system. Preventive in all sorts of senses as I tried to argue earlier. And that system has to be international in a way that we can hardly conceive of today. We have a precedent in social security. We have to look hard at understanding that the reason why this article was introduced in the mid-1940s was really by Roosevelt in cahoots with people like Keynes because Social Security was only introduced in the United States in 1935 as an act and only implemented in 1940 onwards. And this meant the kind of security for many millions that had been, had arisen during the Depression years. And though that desperate period of war on top of depression meant that recovery depended in part on social security. Peter, I'm just going to stop you there so that other people can come in, Connor or Helena, I think. Or, yeah. Well, I, I just want to follow up. So, but we went through, developed nations like ours went through 
industrialization and so on before we introduce social uh, welfare? And, and aren't we burdening countries which are, are still going through that process and giving them uh, an additional burden that we didn't have at that time and that therefore we're really making it very hard for them to prosper? No, we're not. Social security is a must for economic growth as well as greater equality between different groups in the population and especially some kind of deal uh, for the right to live of many children, disabled, elderly, etc. And this is, a, this is actually enshrined in the Articles. It, it is. We have precedents for implementation, and I think we can we can deal with that. We have. We are at the moment denying the poor countries the very system that we've gradually built up, as you say, over the years um, through accept, social assistance and the poor you law. Not, would you accept that it's very much a, a Western concept? This idea of of social security to follow on from Helena. It's not, it's a, not a universal value system of any of the rights in the UDHR. It's the one that's, that's, that's most Western as a value system. One minute. Only left. because the West has been dominant in economic power and political power in recent history. Um, and the problem is that we had some of the similar problems a hundred and more years ago and gradually got over them through collective struggle primarily. The miners who tried to protect their injured in getting compensation, for example, in the friendly societies, that's the kind of example, the image that we have to build on today for the poor countries. And today, the important and final thing for me to say in terms of this argument is that we are denying this kind of uh, uh, a, a resource that is provided by employers social insurance or by taxation um, and the transnational corporations the global powers are are responsible for the exploitation basically in the poor countries and yet they do they're not being challenged in terms of their financial responsibility to provide the resources to enable these countries to develop the system that the rich have already established and there we must stop thank you very much Uh, now we're going to move uh, quickly on because it is now your your turn. I'm sorry I don't look up there as much as I should do because I'm, I do apologise that I'm staring at the middle distance. But um, now we're going to ask for a vote uh, a, a vote now, and we're going to eliminate uh, we're going to eliminate one of these, aren't we? We're going to eliminate one of them. So I'm just going to ask you very quickly if you're now thinking about which of these two rights do you want to retain uh, today. Do you want to retain uh, Article uh, 1, or do you want to retain Article 5, or do you want to retain Article 22? Can I see those, I'll try and be a little bit more circumspect about counting now, but can I see those people, only vote once please, those people who would think that they were going to retain two of them, we're going to just look at the largest two votes. So those people who would like to retain Article 1, if you could please raise your hand. Say that's roughly sixty. Okay, and could I have those who would like to uh, retain uh, Article uh, Article Article Five now, please? Could you say that five? Overwhelming. Okay, that's pretty overwhelming. And then, lastly, Article Twenty-Two. 
Oh, that's very close between. Uh, so, Article. Uh, um, certainly, uh, we've we've retained uh, we've retained Article um, ele- uh, five, haven't we? Um, we just I think we need to see the other two votes. So, could we have a, a vote again, please, uh, for Article one? Could I just see that again? And then a vote for Article twenty two. I think. Twenty-two. I think twenty-two just has it. Yes, could we can see? I know it doesn't look. Can see all those. Okay, that's two. So, so that is Peter and Francesca are left in. Now it's your turn to question. Uh, sorry, sorry, Charmy, Charmy and Peter, Charmy and Peter are left in. Uh, it's your turn to question them now. Uh, we're going to invite you, so if you'd like to, the panel are going to be quiet, and you might like to put some questions to them about anything that they said, and then after, we've, uh, after they've done that, uh, they will explain, they will have a little t- moment at the end just to sum up on behalf of their right, and then we'll have the final vote, and we'll announce the right of rights. Uh, we have roving mics, yes, thank you very much for pointing it out to me. Roving Okay, yes, a hand on the mic, yes, over there on the right-hand side, thank you very much. Hello. No need to tell us who you are, because that will take up too much. So just please... <laughs> I wouldn't tell you who I was anyway. Um, I think on torture, pretty much the definition... I guess most people have an idea of what they regard as torture. But I'd be interested to um, understand what the panel thinks is the universal definition of cruel and degrading. For example, I think forced marriage is cruel and degrading. I think Agreed. child marriage is cruel and degrading. Agreed. Um, but for some cultures, that is an acceptable form of, you know, conduct um, and it's a social not. interaction. So, um, <laughs> okay, well, I think I've got your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Does everybody else... Um, what does everybody else on the panel think? Too. We're not going to the panel, remember. We're, uh, we're only addressing these two individuals who are left in it. So that's a, let me go straight to you on that one, shall we? I think I've answered it. This is not, this is not culturally relativistic. The framework is right enough and broad enough to be shared by people all over the world, and that's that. Okay, now another question. I will come down here now to the third row of the gentleman in the blue shirt, if we can get there, please. If you could just say who you're addressing your question to, it just makes it a little bit clearer, whether it's to Shami or to Peter. Yeah, thank you. A question for, for Peter. In a straight battle between Article 5 and 22, I have to go to article, for Article 5 because it's so clear and comprehensible and attributable to the individual. The point about Article 22 is that surely this is a little bit less about an absolute right and a bit more about how governments decide to allocate their resources, which is one of the reasons we have elections, is one of the reasons we have some sort of direct link between the will of the people and those elected to take these decisions. So I'd like to comment on that and explain why that uh, social security is really a right rather than just a social policy decision by whoever happens to be elected into government. I think we have to balance libertarian ideals and objectives with the ones that apply to huge masses of the population. And the virtue of social security as an article is that we not only have it there in place, that then was developed in lots of other international human rights instruments, because it was, but we have the precedence of what has been developed in the rich world. And implementation in this case, it seems to me, it can be made if enough people back it in research and and, uh, report terms. It's 
it's probably the, the major example of an article that can be implemented in terms which are both conceivable and practicable. Okay, thank you, and I'll take another question. Can we come to the gentleman in the front row in the central section in the balcony, please? There's a, there's a microphone on its way to you. Hi, this is a question with regards to number five. In Iran uh, recently, um, a man uh, whose uh, marriage advances were rejected uh, burnt uh, the eyes of a woman out um, with acid. In recompense, the court ordered that his eyes be burnt out similarly so. So my question is, what are the thresholds um, for punishment as regards torture? Well, both the, both the man's act and the punishment against him flout the principle that I'm here to defend, is the, answer to, is the short answer to your question. Um, and while I've got the mic, can I just say that I, I, I contest the idea that there are libertarian versus communitarian rights in this framework. And I certainly support the importance of social, social security. But why you should ultimately write, why you should ultimately choose my right as the supreme right is because... It's because at the extremes it will catch all the others. And indeed there have been cases even in this country where the government, for example, has forced asylum seekers into destitution, depriving them of the ability to work and have social security, where it is the rule against inhuman and degrading treatment that has offered a flaw and a, and a safety net. So you can, you can vote for me and get two for the price of one. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh... I, uh, I, I am going to allow Peter to have a little bit uh, to speak on behalf of his particular article in a moment, but let's, let's take some more questions, but I shall bear that in mind that you have something due to you in a moment. So, yes, let's have this, uh, let, let's have the second row here, purple. Um, one of the readings of Article 22 could be slightly Maslowian. In other words, if your lower order needs are met, then you can, for example, freely develop your personality. In other words, your survival needs must be met through social security and the resources of the state, and then you can freely develop your personality. So one could argue yours is sort of like a second order right, whereas Article 5 is a very base level survival right. Thank you. Um, the right to survival must depend on the structures of government and of services that exist in a country. And I want to argue that social security is a thin end of a, an important wedge for the development of collective action and collective uh, responsibility as well as collective welfare. I think it is the big instrument we have in our possession in a number of the human rights instruments which can be drawn upon, quoted to governments that haven't signed up as well as the majority that have signed up to fulfilment of that particular article. And I, I, do, I do want to say that in terms of personality that uh, you only have to talk to people in your own family through the different generations to understand what 
the right to a pension and child allowances and so on has meant in terms of giving them the possibility of expressing their personalities. Peter, I'm going to know, I'll take one from upstairs now. Can we, sorry? Somebody you sent purple, yes. Yeah, in the second row. Thank you very much. Uh, I've got a question for Article 5. I'd like to know how Article 5 or any other article in the Human Rights Decla Declaration, for that matter, can be uphold, upheld by a society that's largely uneducated and, in effect, ignorant of their rights. Um, how, how would that be possible if, if Article 22 is not in place and the society doesn't know about its rights? How, how are any other human rights going to be upheld? Well, you're certainly right. That it, that it sure helps to actually know about these documents and, and more than that, I would agree with Peter to actually have the means uh, and, uh, of implementation. However, my right is so fundamental that it goes to the heart of being a decent human being and I would reject the notion that you have to be highly educated or even wealthy or even to have more than a very basic existence to know that cruelty in human integrating treatment and torture is just plain wrong. I will go to you. Okay, thank you very much. And I'm coming down here now. Yes, we should say that gentleman on the end there. Thank you. Yeah, this is for Article 5 as well. I agree with everything you've said, but I think there are difficulties with it. If we know, for example, that a thousand people would be killed by hypothetical bomb or whatever it is, do they not also have rights that need protecting? And if we can protect the rights of the thousand by going against the rights of the one, how do we balance the right of the one against the right of the thousand? Professor Dershowitz has joined the audience. Indeed. <laughs> if you'll forgive me, I actually think that hypothetical was put rather better in the, in, in the specific ticking bomb scenario. When you put it into the philosophical proposition of we must choose the rights of the many over the rights of the few, which is how you've extrapolated, I think the argument becomes um, far yeah. easier for me and weaker for you because, you see, the many are made up of individual human beings and you start treating those individual human beings in this way and you will recruit more terrorists than you will ever prevent and you have just completely lost the plot for civilised democratic society. I'm going to take just, just two more, just, uh, just two more and have you seen any that we have regularly missed? I think the gentleman up there, I've, 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 I've pointed to you once uh, sir, and I'm afraid that I went somewhere else. Thanks for allowing me. Um, I have two specific examples or questions for Article 22. Uh, there's currently a debate about the resources in the deep seas. About the lot, there's lots of minerals and fossil fuels in deep seas and which what belongs to which nation and there's, there's a huge debate about it and is it actually doesn't belong to humans as well as to the animals the resources the natural resources and how we, we are selfish to say that it belongs to humans and we ignore the animals and others and the second example is could we, could we sorry don't, I don't just take don't one we're so that. short of time could I just yes I don't understand it why are we confining it to humans why are we confining your oh, I see. Okay. to humans do you, want to, do you want to respond to that? I'm sorry to catch you, but I'm just trying to get as much as possible. Bring somebody else in. Do you want to respond, or shall uh, I bring somebody else in? No, bring somebody else in. Okay, so that <laughs> I, will, I will come down here then, and I will go over here. Now, that gentleman there in, that, in the third row. And I'll take one more after this. I'm so sorry, there's so many hands up, but I'm trying to distribute it fairly between the balcony and the, and the store. Hi, uh, yeah. Um, a couple of points on Article 5. Um, Could we just have one point? I'm sorry. Okay, can I have one, one question and one point? <laughs> okay. 
Well, the main thing that I was thinking was, um, given that you brought up the fact um, that the ticking bomb scenario has never existed, I'm surprised um, you didn't challenge the implicit assumption within the hypothetical scenario, which is that torturing someone will produce reliable information. And for me, that's a, a core you know, part of your defence. Well, okay. well, well, thank you for, for helping in my defence, <laughs> which is always nice. Uh, uh, sorry, the second point as well. You want to make, um, well, I'm sure, I think we'll just give the second point. I, to I, I, deliberately, I, I deliberately didn't, and I'll, te I'll tell you why. Because the truth is, this is unreliable because you don't know whether the person's going to tell you the truth or not. Now, I happen to know from my personal experience of childbirth, if that's not too much information, <laughs> that I have a very, very... I couldn't do it without a great deal of pharma logical assistance, um, that I have a very, very, very low pain threshold. That's good to know. So, I, yeah. <laughs> so, You're I, I don't, God, the Grand Inquisitor over there, the, the, the Baroness of the Grand Inquisition. Um, and so, I don't know, the point is, maybe I tell you the truth sometimes, maybe I'd lie, maybe I'd say whatever it was to stop the, you know, to stop the, but, but it's, it's unreliable. But, but, but I suppose, you know, people on the other side of the argument would say, but it, you know, so what if it's unreliable? I'll, you know, I'll have a go. Um, so I'd rather just go for the heart of this, which is it is the heart of darkness. Okay. And we have, to, we have to say that and stand firm. Okay, I'm afraid that we, we, I was going to say one more, but we have run out of time now. Now, it's a time now for you to, uh, to vote. Um, we're not going to have any final, because we, we, we've just got about one and a half minutes kept before we, before we leave here. So I'm now going to ask you just a straightforward vote to see which of these rights is going to be declared the right of rights. Uh, the person who wins gets a prize, a decanter of moral smugness. And, um, and, uh, and so could I please see those people who want to vote, first of all, for Article Five, the one that's been defended mm -hmm. by Shanti. Article five. Oh. Okay, and now can I see Article twenty-two? Uh, and clearly, there's article, still some Stalinists article, left in the LSE. <laughs> article five is. And. Can I, uh, can I thank you all very much for, for your attendance and for the rather wonderful way in which you managed to stay with this as we moved from anarchy towards demagoguery and eventually <laughs> towards a rather balanced debate, I thought, at the very end of it. And will you please thank uh, Helena and uh, Jonathan and Francesca and Zoe here. There are... There are... There are... I'm told that there are...